Good afternoon, everyone. Allison Skaberg here. I am with Consolidated Planning Group. We are a holistic special needs financial planning firm. We are happy to be here with you today. Um, if this is your first time uh, joining us, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. You're in the right place. And if you are um, joining us again for many times, uh, we're glad you're back for sure. Um, always um, a pleasure to partner uh, with Texoma, April Martin, um, and uh, Workforce Solutions. And so today um, we are going to be um, talking about transition tips for launching your teen uh, with a disability into adulthood. So we're going to kind of be going through all of that. Um, today we are in webinar mode. Um, sometimes people listen to our presentations through podcast. Um, so uh, if you're hearing um, today's uh, meeting through a podcast and would like a copy of today's slides, you can email us at contact at cpgcares.net. That's contact at cpgcares.net. Everyone who's registered for today's um, meeting is going to get a copy of today's slides and a link uh, to the recording after the fact. So um, as always, we love your questions. We invite you to put your questions today in the chat box and we aim to answer as many as we can. Um, April is going to be monitoring that chat box uh, for me as we as we go through the presentation. And like I said, we'll get to um, get to them just as many as we can. So um, Consolidated Planning Group, um, we are a holistic special needs uh, financial planning firm. We're nationally certified as social security advisors, members of the Special Needs Planning Academy. Um, but I come to you baptized by fire because I am a parent and a professional uh, parent for and have two uh, adults with disabilities that have transitioned into adulthood. And quite honestly, um, our meetings and podcasts and webinars and um, things were really born out of my own frustration. I eat, sleep, and breathe this. Um, and what I would say is when you have a loved one with a disability, navigating some of these things is challenging at best. It is, I, I always call it unnecessarily difficult. So these um, podcasts and webinars that we provide, first of all, they all live on our YouTube channel after the fact, the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to for free. There's over 200 webinars out there on topics related to planning and um, steps to take. All of our webinars are designed to give you true tips nuggets, takeaways of, some, of things that you can implement, that you can do for free um, as it relates to planning for your loved one with a disability. So definitely check that out. But um, people come to us because they say, I have a loved one with a disability who may or may not have care needs the rest of their life. We're hopeful and optimistic, but they're not there yet. We need to um, you know, hope for the best, but in the meantime, while we're hoping for the best, we need to plan for the worst because we have our own retirement that's going to be 25 to 35 years. Uh, and then if we have this child that is going to need care the rest of their life, it could be an extra 20 to 35 years um, once you're gone as a parent. So um, we help people determine how much do they need to fund a special needs trust for the future care of their loved one. 
We put lifetime care plans in place, protection plans in place. How do we fund that special needs trust? We help people set up ABLE accounts, which is we'll talk about more in a moment, which is a place you can have money above and beyond the $2,000 that Medicaid says. Um, but we just do a lot of advocacy by way of um, these webinars as well. 263000 that's a pretty big number. That is the number of the financial planners or advisors in the United States. Uh, that is that is a lot. But this next number is a very, very small number. Fewer than one-tenth of a percent are actually nuanced and special needs. Okay, So what that means is about 100, 125 total advisors in the U.S. are, are nuanced at all when it, when it comes to special needs. And, and as a parent, Guys, our situation is specialized. It's important to work with a specialist when, when you're planning for your loved one with a disability. Um, advisors that are not nuanced in special needs, they don't have understandings of SSI and Medicaid guidelines and state waiver programs and other things that your child may be eligible for, may already be eligible for, but or in the future may be eligible for. And it is very, very important that we have money in the right buckets. So at Consolidated Planning Group, we are an advisory consulting firm. We're not here to rain on any great relationships that you already have with your advisors. Most of the families that come to us come to us because their advisor is not nuanced in special needs and they want to do that consulting piece. Um, and so that's basically uh, how that works. And so I always just, you know, mention here how important it is, you know, if you have a health issue, um, if you have a heart issue, you're going to go see a cardiologist. If, if you have a cancer issue, you're going to go see an oncologist. You're going to go to a specialist to, to get the best um, care and support you can for what you have going on. And that is just really the same as it relates to, to planning for special needs as well. Um, so today, again, we're really talking about um, transitions and tips for launching um, uh, your special needs teen into adulthood. So I think first things first, and when we get started, um, I always liken a phrase of they are where they are. Uh, let's meet them where they are. They're not necessarily behind. And then this Facebook and Instagram and all these, you know, social media crazed world that we live in, um, it, there is a lot of comparisons and there's a lot of keeping up with the Jones, Joneses. And when it comes to our loved one with a disability, they are where they are and they've come a long way and they may have, you know, further to go and they're getting where they're going. But I think it's so critically important to understand that our, our path forward and their path forward might be a non-traditional path. And being okay with that um, as a parent, um, I think it's important. Uh, you know, I always kind of jokingly say, well, maybe, you know, maybe I need to take myself to the woodshed and, 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 you know, maybe I need to have a reality check on some of those things. So really understanding the diagnoses and those challenges and their strengths and, and really trying to promote um, what that next step and that path forward that's going to promote um, their strengths and work on closing the gap on some of those challenges. Keeping uh, an open mind and considering all um, options, I know while some of our children will never drive, I understand that. Some of our kids will have the ability or capacity to drive. Some of our kids really want to, and parents are really against it right now. Um, but just think about delaying the driver's license. I always like to mention here, because I am a huge fan, um, 
of disability driving training. There are various programs throughout the state. Here Memorial Hermann does a good assessment. Um, think of places that do assessments um, for a person on whether or not they're safe to get behind the wheel again after they have a, tr a stroke. So those are all across the state. They do those assessments. But there are also various disability driving schools um, where they'll do an assessment with your um, child that has a disability to determine could, would they be safe um, if they drove and what are their, def you know, their deficiencies, and then they'll work on those um, with behind the wheel um, training. And so things to think about, there's all kinds of disabilities out there. Some people have movement disorders, which could be a problem. Um, and then some people have focus disorders like ADHD or, you know, things you know, different in the brain with autism and things like that. So, um, so it's not a, a slam dunk that they necessarily can't, but it might be a delay. Um, and if you're a parent that really wants to know um, and, you know, support the child that actually does want to drive to see is it safe or is it not safe, um, I, you know, encourage you to consider that. Um, we think about trade school or community college. Um, we think about vocational rehab. Our, our workforce solutions. We, we hear of summer earn and learn, and we hear of the pre-employment training services, um, um, commonly referred to as pre-ETS, which April will uh, hit on those in, in a little bit. Um, there are such things as registered apprenticeships through the Department of Labor. Um, we could think about maybe a reduced college course load. We don't have to put them in a box with 12 hours of credits. Maybe they can take one course. Maybe there's the introduction to college studies or university studies. Maybe it's not a, um, you know, bachelor's or an associate's degree at all. Maybe it's a license or a certificate. There are plenty of people that are, have a license or a certificate that are as, ma making as much or more than others that have a four-year degree or even advanced degree. So I, I would just say as a parent, let's look at it like, where are we? And a lot of times our kids are um, less mature for their age. So we have a lot of kids that are neurotypical that are less mature for their age. Um, sometimes boys are late to the party, right? Um, but our kids that have brain development, you know, or developmental delays or other things like that, um, from a maturity perspective, they may not be um, be there yet. So this is where we're going to think about things of the 18 plus programs um, in the public school, you know, staying in the public school to 21 or 22. Um, there, there are adult programs as well, um, kind of work based learning type of programs as well. There's all kinds of stuff. So um, just when you're thinking about it, just think that it's not necessarily uh, just college or uh, the community college or a university. One of the things that we think about when we're thinking about how do we find a good fit, one of the things that we're really trying to avoid is that there isn't a plan. So you have the ARD meeting and they tell you guys they're planning on the child leaving the school at age 18. You hadn't really thought about them staying in, in school, you know, post age 18 or the 18 plus program. What we're trying to avoid is that they leave the school and they come home and there's no plan. They're sitting at home playing video games or not working or things like that. So thinking about extracurricular activities where they can have friends or support, a work setting, um, schools or colleges, and then, of course, a career path. Excuse me. So let's talk. I want to kind of shift over to 
higher, you know, higher learning or higher, higher education. So I always like to talk about accommodations because as a parent, I found it annoying that all of the higher education institutions, whether it's a community college or a university, they don't sing out of the same songbook. There is not the same rules, right? They all have different sets of rules on how you get accommodations on the higher education level. Your accommodations that you get on the public school or in a private school or that you're providing in a homeschool setting don't just automatically transfer to the higher education. So oftentimes um, they're going to require updated testing in the last three to five years. Okay. So we're talking about neuropsych testing, learning disability testing, uh, et cetera. Um, there, and the accommodations that you have in the public school doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get accommodations on the SAT and the ACT. So the first things first, the SAT and the ACT, these are tests by the College Board, SAT and the, and the ACT, they, ACT.org. You can go to their website as well. Um, they also do have accommodations out there. You can go to their website. You can go into their search box and say accommodations. It'll take you to a page where you can download their PDF of to apply for um, accommodations that does require a doctor's signature. But I just want you to be aware of that. Um, you can also work with your school guidance counselor saying that you need accommodations for the SAT or the ACT for your student. They only need the SAT and the ACT if they're going to the university. You do not, they are not required to have the SAT or the ACT if they're going to the community college. So just be aware of that. Plan early so that way those accommodations can be in place. Sometimes the, those uh, <clears throat> The College Board and ACT can be a little bit behind, so you want to plan early for that. You can do this yourself by going to their website, downloading the form, and getting it um, signed off on by a doctor, and you can also work with a school guidance counselor as well. Um, but think about what accommodations are going to be necessary for them, and again, you want to plan early. All of these colleges have an office of disability. It could be called any n number of things. It could be called Ability Services, Disability Services, ODS. They have all these acronyms, but they all have an office of disability. Um, and so these accommodations are what we um, have allowed your kids to be successful in the past, and we need them on a higher education level. You need to plan early so those accommodations can be in place before school starts. You don't want them not to be in place before school starts and you're five weeks into the semester and they were already working with both hands behind their back because they didn't have their accommodations. Um, it's not fair and it's not pretty and it won't go well. So plan early um, on that. So the other thing that I want to mention to you guys is the FERPA um, the FERPA will be needed to release information, even if your child's a minor, even if you're paying for their um, their tuition and things like that. The FERPA is re is needed to release information. The schools want to deal with your child, okay, not you. Um, and and you know disability cases where there needs to be parental involvement, there can be that the FERPA needs to be signed. We also suggest um, having a healthcare power of attorney and a power of attorney for your college students in your life and any aging family members. Okay, this is going to 
Um, you still need the FERPA, but if you know your child becomes ill while they're away at school, um, or there, you know, something happens and you need to 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 step in as their power of attorney or their healthcare power of attorney, it's really important to have this. And I always mention, I'm sorry if you guys have heard me say this before, but there's just two true, very true stories that I have known people that this has happened to. There was a, a fire at Texas State um, a few years ago and kids were hauled out of there in ambulances. So that's an example. And then we've had um, a mental health crisis in our country for quite some time that got worse in 2020. So in an example of a college student that has a mental health crisis that's hauled out of there and taken to a mental health facility, if you do not have a healthcare power of attorney as a parent, they will not even tell you where they took your child. And they definitely won't tell you anything about their status or their well-being or any of those types of things, not having these documents. So um, you can, these, we are not a fan of do-it-yourself legal work, okay? Um, most people that do-it-yourself legal work mess it up. We are not a fan of working with generalist attorneys when you have a special needs kid. We are a fan of uh, working with specialized attorneys and we're happy to make referrals um, for those all across the state. But a healthcare power of attorney and a power of attorney and a pinch you could download from um, online. Again, we don't recommend it. Do it yourself, legal work. But um, but as opposed to not having one at all, um, I, I guess I would do that. Um, reasonable accommodations, um, you know, they're required if it does not pose undue hardship in the workplace. You can check things out on the Department of Labor. This is also where you can look for registered apprenticeships um, as well. And then we have askjan.org about the jo job accommodation network if your kids are going to work. And of course, April is going to talk to us more about the programs that are available um, through the state that there are state and federal funded programs that are pretty awesome for our ind individuals with a disability who have that have an impediment to employment. There are programs for all ages. And these programs, just if you're joining us from out of state, there are programs in all states um, that the vocational rehab programs have various programs um, available in all states as well. Um, but basically, there are specialized programs for kids ages 14 to 22, right, April? Um, 14 to 22 that have a disability that's an impediment to employment. Is that how that works? Absolutely, yes. Vocational rehabilitation offers special programs that are called, we have uh, normal vocational rehabilitation counselors that handle what are called an adult caseload. And then we have what are transitional planners and they handle 14 to 22. And a lot of people say, wait a minute, a 14 year old, they have nothing to do with work. But at 14, is a good time to be introduced to the idea of work. As with most uh, students with a disability need longer time to think about things, more time to prepare for that transition from the school world to the post-secondary world of training, education, and work is needed. So that's why we start at age 14. It's a great time to introduce them to job exploration. And the job exploration, and not only that, but <clears throat> determining what those impediments are to employment and what kind of training needs to happen to help close those gaps, I think that that is um, cert certainly very important. And again, I think about, you know, we there's sometimes there's gap years and there's other things that we're seeing and stuff like that. It's okay for them to go to work. There's a lot of things that are happening and going 
to work. It's being a part of a team. It's the social aspect of it. It's being dependable. It's being reliable. It's, um, you know, conflict resolution. There's so many things that are happening um, in a workplace, not to mention the, the skills that they're building at that time. And it's okay, parents, if you have a kid that hates school. Some parents have kids that hate school. And it's just been the thorn in their side all of these years. They're not, you know, maybe they're not cut out for that. School is not the right direction for everyone. Higher education is not the right direction for everyone every time. And and, and sometimes it's just, it's not not ever it's just not now. It's like that growing and that maturing that we were talking about earlier. So, you know, I think that those are things, again, to, to think about. Um, Can I add just one thing? Yes. Because we were talking about the release of parent rights and the FERPA. One very nice thing about getting your children involved in transition services through vocational rehabilitation is that when you begin that process between the ages of 14 and 16 and start early, not only do they have time to adjust, the parents have time to adjust, and you're in a continuous relationship. So at that release of rights at age of 18, you've already partnered with somebody. You know the people that your child's working with unless your counselor changed, but you still have a good idea of the system. It's not all of a sudden the day of their 18th birthday, you're no longer involved. You've been involved and you've done a more gentle release. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a good idea. Um, these are just some um, educational options post high school um, for for those of you that are attending by podcast. Um, these are Texas solutions for the most part, except for Lynn University. That's actually in Florida. Um, <clears throat> some of them are schools. Some of them are like training programs. Non Perel Institute is like a, a kind of like an IT training program. But <clears throat> we have the Austin Community College Steps, College Living Experience, Vast Academy through HCC. There's Lamar University. Some of these schools are on here. They might not have a specific program, but they might be on here because they have an awesome Office of Disability. And, I, you know, I do a complete college you know, planning for special needs webinar. And I always say that when when we're thinking about the next, you know, places that we might go as far as um, school, you know, first I think, well, do they have the program that your child wants? That's the first elimination. And the second elimination for me was the Office of Disability, the credibility of the Office of Disability. Are they good? Or are they not good? Because if they're not good, we're not going there is kind of <laughs> basically um, how I worked on my list. Okay. Um, so we've got the AM, A&M program, Aggie Achieve. There's the PATH program at A&M, um, Texas State Technical College, um, Texas Tech Case Program. Sam Houston State University has an awesome Office of Disability. Uh, there's North, University of North Texas, Workplace Inclusion, uh, UNT Wise, um, E4 for Texas at UT, and West Texas A&M, um, the, the, where the learning continues. This is just a small list. We don't work for them, and they don't work for us. Um, there are some good options out there on Th um, Think College. Um, Think College, they have a Facebook page. They have a, um, a, a website that that 
that offers a lot of programs for individuals with disabilities, so you can check that out. Um, so we just like to mention these out there because I think a lot of families feel discouraged. I mean, I think a lot of families, if they have a child that has an intellectual disability, and when I'm speaking of an intellectual disability, I'm speaking in general, general terms of an IQ of 70 or below, we're 75 and below with multiple disabilities is in general um, what I'm talking about. Some parents um, come to us and they feel like the situation is hopeless. Um, and I'm just encouraging you to tell you that it's not and there are a lot of programs. Some of these programs are degree programs. Some of them are certificates, like they might get a certificate in horticulture or, um, you know, um, food service or a restaurant manager. There's just so many different ones out there where they they have different programs uh, that they can get certified in or get a certificate and, and really grow those skills in those particular programs. So my advice to you on this is create your spreadsheet um, because none of these programs are created equally. They are differing in length, they're differing in cost, they're differing in their enrollment times, whether it's rolling or it's this, um, they're differing in how many seats they have or how many people they're going to accept into your program, into their program. So I would say, you know, think about this early and, and you know, I, and, and your spreadsheet should say, when does the application open? When does it close? How long is the program? You know, those are some examples and suggestions I um, would make. And again, this just comes from the baptized by fire of um, with my own kids of like, why is everything different? Why can't we just have a uniform set of rules that we run by? Um, so I, I felt like it made the, the, the task a lot more challenging because all of those moving parts. So I just always like to give people a heads up on that. So what about our higher functioning kids that we're pretty sure, yeah, you know, they might be a little socially in, adept, inept, but, but they're really smart. And, and, you know, we have a lot of kids with disabilities that don't have an intellectual disability at all. And in fact, some of their IQ scores are in genius level, but they maybe have some social, you know, um, things that, that need some help. There, um, there is a program on um, Bloom Consulting. I always just like to mention this program. Again, we don't work for them. They don't work for us. Um, but they do have a wraparound program for um, for kids that kind of goes along um, with them to the to the university. It's a thousand dollars a month, which sounds expensive, but sometimes if it's in line with the the, the plan uh, through VR, it could be sponsored by VR. Bloom Consulting is um, connected uh, with VR as an as an authorized provider. Um, but this is really uh, designed uh, to help the neurodiverse college students just navigate college and kind of take the parent out of this role because most of the time when you've got an 18 or a 19 year old, they don't think your ideas are as great as they did when they were four. <laughs> um, so this puts another person in that seat um, to be kind of a, um, a liaison, work with your student. It's a wraparound um, process, um, and, it, and it pairs a student with a coach that provides mentoring and guidance and navigational support, but it also really just empowers the student to grow their problem-solving skills and address things more effectively. So I'm a fan of Bloom Consulting. Bloom Consulting could be covered by VR, but it also could be a private pay thing if you wanted to seek them out. Another thing that Bloom Consulting does, they do a lot of things. You could, you should just check out their website, but they do 
um, vocational evaluations. Um, and a vocational evaluation also may be covered by VR um, if it's in line with the plan. Um, but this is where they do a, a pretty comprehensive assessment. It's usually over several days um, to identify what are the, your loved one's impediments to employment. What would get in the, get in the way of your student having um, a job that actually provides substantial gainful activity, not underemployment, not, you know, not unemployment, but what, you know, what are their impediments? So that is a vocational uh, evaluation. So they do those as well. You can do those private pay, but if your student's in the VR program, you may have already had one done and you might just need to ask for the results and maybe you could get one done as well. And April, um, could you just chime in a little bit on those vocational evaluations and the value of those? Well, I would say that especially um, in cases, I know some cases for students have been, or families have been talked into changing their children to a 504 from an IEP before the end of high school, being told that, that 504 is more affordable. It is not, it just simply, streamlines accommodations. Accommodations are what you get in college. And uh, the vocational planners are the TVRCs. If you get in, you need to get in before the second half of your senior year if you want a transitional vocational planner. I do want to say that because if you go in in the last part of your senior year, you're going to get an adult supervisor. So if you want somebody that is uh, more tailored to a high school student is going to work with the family a little bit less on the adult side and still in that transition process. You want to start before the second half of the senior year and they can go ahead and they will work with you and your student and they will determine if you need an evaluation done and they can often help pay for that. I never promise that, um, but definitely that is always on the table. And the nice thing about it is that they offer you several options. They're not going to say you have to go to one person to have testing done. So that is something to keep in mind. Well, I just want to mention on that, the testing, I personally have out-of-pocket, you know, paid for that out-of-pocket multiple times for multiple kids. And it's usually... $3,500 to $5,000. It's not cheap. It's not pennies. Um, and it's usually not covered by your insurance. So I, I feel like it's the, the kill two birds with one stone. You need, it, you need those updated testings for, to get the accommodations on the higher education level to begin with. Um, but your child being involved in the VR program or the PRIETS or the Summer Earn and Learn program is help, help, helping them grow. Um, and moving towards, you know, employability in the future. So if there are state and federally funded dollars that those, those, that kind of testing can be um, provided through those programs, it's just, you know, it's just a thought. Now, one other thing that you mentioned, April, and I just wanted to touch on this because I know school is a big issue for a lot of the families that, that we work with and education issues and all that kind of stuff. The 504 and the ARD, um, you know, when they're pushing the 504 is, is what they really federally, like they have to do on the ARD versus the things that they can get out of on the 504. And I'm not a specialist and I don't play one on TV for the, the school accommodations, but we do partner with um, educational advocates and we do have that on our YouTube channel um, talking about what your rights are as a parent, how to get the accommodations that you need in the public school um, and those types of things and there are definitely there's definitely a lot of information out there so 
just being aware of those things and 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 knowing about that because a lot of times you don't even know what you don't know. I mean, there's just so much to think about all the time. We don't necessarily know um, what we what we don't know. Do we have any questions? We have a couple pop up. Where can we get more information about special needs planner? Allison, I'll let you talk a little bit about that. And I'll put your information in the box. Yes, for sure. Um, the Academy of Special Needs Planners, we're members of the Special Needs Planning um, uh, Academy. So uh, for that, that's, that's for one thing. There's just so few of, few of them. I mean, we're happy to provide additional information um, should you need that a little bit about how we work and things like that. And for families, and we'll have this at the end, um, we always offer a free personalized consultation. We don't charge for an initial consultation um, for us to learn more about you and how we might be able to help you and for you to learn more uh, about us. So um, we're happy to do that because a lot of times people on meetings like this, they have um, one-off things that maybe they don't want to put in the chat box or things that, you know, they, they might want to talk off um, offline about. So we're happy to do that. Um, and yes, we absolutely do have recommendations for um, for uh, attorneys as well, um, and, and we have those recommendations all across the state. Um, and you know, the uh, some attorneys um, we might recommend more for one family versus another. We get to know the families very personalized, and and then we have a better understanding because we know all of the these attorneys and and the referrals of who might be a great fit uh, for you and what you're you know trying to accomplish and things like that. So the first things first of how you get started, um, you know, with special needs planning, um, you know, really learn the difference between a special needs planner and a special needs attorney, you know, a state planning attorney that's nuanced and special needs. And so what I basically say here is your brother, the real estate attorney or your neighbor, um, you know, the, the, the corporate contract attorney, they are not special needs attorneys. They're not nuanced in guardianship. They're not nuanced in special needs trust and the provisions that should or should not be in those particular trusts. Um, and what we have found is when people try to do their own legal work or they get the free legal work from their brother or their neighbor or something like that, it's usually wrong and you end up paying for it anyway. So you pay for it by the mistake that um, was recognized at somebody's death or something along those lines, or you pay for it by getting it redone because it was wrong. Um, so, so we definitely will um, be happy to make uh, recommendations on that. As far as special needs planners, that's exactly what we do. And a lot of times people are confused. They call us and they'll say, you know, Allison, I really need guardianship. And I say, great. Okay. And I'm going to refer them to an attorney um, to handle the guardianship. Um, I shorten that by saying that they're um, they're the paper, the legal documents. You got to have them, and we're the money. How do we retire and not run out of money and still have enough money to fund the special needs trust? How do we have money in the right buckets? How and when should we apply for SSI and Medicaid? How do we not mess that up? How do we not lose Medicaid? When are we going to get a waiver? That's us. Um, and that's what a special needs planner does. Do we have some additional questions, April? We do. One of them I answered in the chat. They wanted to know if there'd be a recording. So put that answer there. And then should we find the letter of intent online or contact an attorney? Thank you. Um, you can contact us. We have a letter of intent template. It's 20 pages long. Um, and on our YouTube channel, um, we have a complete um, webinar on a letter of intent, what it is, how it works, how it goes along with your legal documents and things um, of that nature. Um, a letter of intent is really... 
I, I often refer to it as a family love letter. Okay. It's not that much of a legal document, but this is, um, April, if you have a special needs child and you come, um, become incapacitated today and I'm your future caregiver for your child, this is the document that I pick up and I know what I need to know. Okay. Um, I know where was this child born? What County, what hospital, what are the child's diagnoses? What meds do they take? What are the names, address and phone numbers of the doctors? What makes this child fall apart and what makes this child do well? Um, you know, what are the religious preferences? Are there any final expenses? Are there any legal um, documents, you know, in place and things like that? But it also has a free space at the end of the letter of intent for a, a parent to write what your heart is. This is my heart for my child. If I'm not here, this is what I want. I want you to know this, or you really need to know this. Um, so it's just a really good document to go alongside of your um, of your legal documents. So again, we do have a template for that, um, and would be happy to provide that. You can reach out to our staff for that. So. You're going to want to work with the experts. Um, we want to gather all your planning documents. What does this look like? These are um, these are your statements, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, life insurance, benefits that you have through work. Maybe you have life insurance, disability, health insurance through work. This, this could be former um, pension plans or 403Bs or 401Ks that you had from a previous employer. This is all things that will be funding your own future retirement in the future or providing for your own of financial well-being right now. Any legal documents that you already have in place, this is going to be your social security statements and your full earnings records. And I always just mention to people, a lot of people haven't even noticed this, but over the last 15 years or so, the Social Security Administration stopped mailing the social security statements. I don't know if you know that. Um, but basically, unless you're over 60, they don't mail them to you anymore. And so you can um, create a username and password on ssa.gov. You can um, create an account, a username and password, and you'll be able to download your social security um, statement and full earnings records. So that is going to be one of those as well. Um, April, do we have any additional questions at this time? We do not. Okay, perfect. So planning for the future and, you know, what do we need to look at? So whether you have a small child or you have a, an adult transitioning into adulthood, um, developing a future um, care plan now is really going to answer these questions. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I think it's really important that we plan for the worst and hope for the best. I'm not a naysayer. I'm not a everything, the sky is falling kind of girl. That's not me at all. But I think when we plan for the worst and we hope for the best and the best happens, um, then then we have a more lucrative retirement. We, maybe we can leave work earlier. Maybe we can travel more in retirement than we, than what we had once um, planned. But what we're what our team does, um, we do work on a collaborative team at um, Consolidated Planning Group, and we're able to determine how much do you need to fund that special needs trust. How do I maximize Social Security benefits for our whole family? Um, are you a worker, and then one of the parents um, is a caregiver? Um, so will one parent be drawing off of the other parent's record? Plus, we have this special needs loved one. So um, we actually at CPG we have a 
software the only one uh, the only one that takes into consideration a kid and um, with a disability um, we have the ability for our kids to be covered under a parent's record if their disability started prior to age 22 and our software takes in um, both parents earnings records and tells us exactly when and how to pull the trigger on the Social Security to maximize the benefits for the whole household. And it also tells us in dollars and cents what the different decisions mean. So what if you take it at 65 versus 67? What if you wait till age 70? So that is very, very valuable. But I think one question that um, people come um, to us with every single week is, what happens to my child when I'm gone? Um, Every single week, we have a family that comes to us and say, it's us. This is it. We're the end of the line. There is nobody else. How do we plan for that? So when we're gone and this child is going to, you know, live another 20 to 30 years when we're gone, um, how do we plan for that? And so we look at some of those um, options or residential options. Um, So and and some of them will take on future guardianship. Some of them won't. So those are some of the discussions that we have as well. So one of the things that come up all the time is how will my child's care be funded? And that's where we're coming up with those future care cost estimates of what do we need to have in the special needs trust, but how do we get there? So clearly, it's nice if everybody is naturally affluent and you just have millions of dollars sitting around and we can just fund the special needs trust, no problem, and have a really great retirement. But that is not the case for a lot of people. Um, It's careful planning because really when it comes to planning for a loved one with a disability, it's like a third retirement bucket. If you're married, you've got a you know, a, sp- a spouse, two, and then we have a child with a disability, that's the third one. And some families, quite honestly, have more than one child with a disability. Okay. So, um, but first things first, um, we want to preserve the eligibility for state and federally funded programs. Now, am I saying that that is going to be your child's be all end all and level of existence? No, it is. Um, It defrays some of the costs, and the costs are high as it relates to caring for a loved one with a disability, but preserving their eligibility is going to be important. And we also want to preserve their eligibility for Medicaid. And a lot of families come to me, and they say, well, what do I care about Medicaid? I don't even care about Medicaid. I have, you know, private health insurance. Why do I care about Medicaid? Well, the reason that you care about Medicaid is not because you think it's fabulous. It's because the all of the waivers in any given state are Medicaid Medicaid waivers. They require Medicaid eligibility for the waivers. Guys, we have an entire webinar on waivers on our YouTube channel. Um, If you're attending from out of state, there are Medicaid waivers in every state. Um, we we have our Texas Medicaid waivers that are going to be some of the names that you may have heard of before, HCS, Texas Home Living, Community First Choice, CLASS. Um, there's a DBMD for Deaf, Blind, Multiple Disabilities, MDCP. These are some of the Medicaid waivers, some of these acronyms that they throw around you've probably heard before. Um, the, the, the names have um, varying, varying names in other states. So those are not the names if you're attending from out of state, but just know that your state does have Medicaid waivers and you can Google that for, um, for your state. But that's why we want to keep Medicaid eligibility because these waivers, what they are designed to do is to waive off some of the cost of care of caring for a loved one with a disability. The point of the waivers is to keep your loved one with a disability in home and community-based services 
and out of an institution, okay? Some of these budgets can be as much as $340,000 a year. They pay for attendance services, they pay for respite services, various therapies, things like that. But that's the point of the waivers. That's why we wanna keep the Medicaid eligibility. The waivers and Medicaid eligibility is based off of the child's uh, income and assets, not the parents. So for the most part, when it comes to um, SSI and Medicaid, most of our children do not qualify for SSI and Medicaid prior to turning 18 because prior to turning 18, their eligibility for SSI and Medicaid is based off of the parent's income and assets. So basically as a parent, if you have more than $2,000 in your name, they don't qualify. You can have one house, you can have one car. If you have more than one house, you have more than one car, you have more than $2,000 in your name, then your student doesn't qualify. And then it's not because they're not disabled, it's just because how the program works. However, you may have been denied for SSI and Medicaid in the past, and when your child turns 18, it's based off of their income and assets, not yours. So you, we want to make sure that your child does not have more than $2,000 in their name. I think we've got some questions, so I'm going to pause. I went ahead and answered. We just had a question about where they will receive the link for the recording, so I have put that in the chat. Okay. Perfect, perfect. So a couple of places that we can have money above and beyond uh, the Medicaid guidelines of $2,000. And yes, the, the number is ridiculous. $2,000, I think it's been the same for 40 years. It's ridiculous. And there was some like pending, you know, uh, proposed legislation changes of, to increase it to $10,000, but it didn't pass. So maybe one day it will, but it hasn't in any, any, so if anybody tells you, I heard that it went up to $10,000, it's not true, it didn't pass, it's still $2,000, okay? Um, but two places that you can have money that will not count against them for those Medicaid guidelines is a special needs trust. There is a first party special needs trust, which does have a Medicaid payback. That is the individual's money, the individual with the disability, it's their own money. Think of um, their own money from earnings, their own money from a settlement or um, or something that they got that was left directly to them. That's a first party trust. And then a third party special needs trust is how we leave money to our loved one with a disability to provide for their future care. And there is no Medicaid payback on that. Um, and the, the attorneys will help you set these up, um, but you can have an unlimited amount of money in a, um, a first party or a third party special needs trust that will not be counted against them for, um, for Medicaid purposes or any of the waiver programs and things like that. An ABLE account is another place that you can have money. Um, it, an ABLE account is organized under the tax code 529A. So you've heard of 529Cs for college for your neurotypical kids. This is organized under the tax code 529A. The money in the account builds tax-free and there's tax-free distributions as long as, um, and the money can be used for um, it's really broad, basically anything that can be construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability, you can pay for it um, out of an ABLE account. Uh, you, can, um, you can also use an ABLE account to pay for higher education. It could be transition program, it could be for respite, it could be a car, it could be adaptive equipment. I could just go on and on and on about what you could pay for it out of an ABLE account. But it's subject to the gift tax exclusion um, each year. Right now for 2023, it's $17,000 a year. If you have a loved one 
who is working, uh, a loved one with a disability who is working, you can put an additional 13590 into the ABLE account. So right now, the disability, to, in, in order to have an ABLE account, the disability must have began prior to age 26. That's not the age 22 I told you for um, childhood disability benefits under a parent's record, but age 26. And there is legislation that's going into effect that passed uh, in 2026, and that age is going up to age 46. You don't have to have the ABLE account prior to age 26. Right now, it's just the disability had to begin prior to 26. And again, 2026, that age is going up to 46. Um, any additional questions, April? Does child support after age 18 count towards their income? Yes, I'm so glad. Whoever put that in the chat box, yay you. That was an um, awesome segue and I didn't, it was kind of escaped me. It's so super important. So in Texas, and again, if you're from another state, I can't say what is happening there um, right off. I, one off I can. But um, in Texas, oftentimes child support continues post age 18 for an individual with a disability. And if the child support is directed to a first party special needs trust, it has to go to a first party special needs trust because it's considered the child's money. It will not be counted against them for SSI and, and Medicaid purpose. However, if the child support uh, just is paid outright and not going to a first party special needs trust, it will be counted against them and may cause them not to qualify for SSI and Medicaid. So if you're in that position where you're going to get um, child child support post age 18, um, you you just basically need to work with an attorney. And this is not an estate planning attorney. This is a, a family law attorney, divorce attorney. We do have um, uh, attorneys that are focused on that and, and, and work in the special needs community that we can refer to. Um, but you're going to need to work with them and you're going to need to get it to get a court order to get that moved to a first party special needs trust. And it doesn't have to be expensive. If both parents agree that this is in the best interest of the child, which it absolutely is, then you, they can probably just write it off and write it up and the judge will sign off on it. Um, so that is very, very important to get worked out sooner versus later if you're coming down the pipe on transition. So thank, thank you again for putting that out there. Um, the last thing that we think about on funding of the, you know, the child's care, uh, you know, short of being independently wealthy, right? Um, you know, a lot of families use life insurance to fund the special needs trust. So life insurance on the parent's life with the special needs, the third party special needs trust as the beneficiary is how we fund the future care for our loved ones. So that is, um, and, and that's something that is important. That's something that we can help you with and determine what the right amount is and shop with the best options are for you. Um, but it's important to have those conversations and think about this while you're still insurable. Okay. The older we get, the more things go wrong, the more diagnoses we have, and, and then we become uninsurable. Uh, then that, um, that option is off the table if, if we wait too long on that. So uh, again, those are all areas that, um, that we can definitely help you with. And again, we are nationally certified as social security advisors, members of the special needs planning Academy, social security, um, SSI and Medicaid. They're two different programs. Um, we have an entire webinar on our YouTube channel explaining the different programs. One is a um, 
One is a program that is uh, kind of just automatic, and another one is the one that we um, pay into, okay? Uh, SSI is for the indigent and the disabled, okay? And, um, you know, that that is just kind of a, one that we 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 can get, um, and then of course, um, social security disability or social security we pay into that. We have working quarters. At age 65, we get Medicare. But there is a program for 40 years. It was called DAC. They used the acronym DAC, Disabled Adult Child. And then um, recently, they changed that acronym to CDB. Childhood disability benefits, but it's the same thing. But basically what that program is, is it basically says, even though some of our kids will never work and they'll never pay into the social security system, they have the ability to be covered under a parent's record when a parent either retires through the social security system or goes on disability. And this is where they'll switch over from SSI to basically RSDI under a a parent's record. So so we're able to educate families on that because a lot of families don't even know that that exists. So I think I already talked about the ABLE account a little bit. Um, the beneficiary is the account owner. That's a little bit different than the 529C. Um, a 529C, whoever gives it, like so if dad, dad is the owner and then the beneficiary is the kid. So the kid with the disability is act actually the account owner in the ABLE account. Income earned is not taxable. Contributions aren't deductible, but it does not jeopardize SSI, Medicaid, or other public benefits. And we kind of talked about the contribution limits. So when do I need a special needs trust and guardianship? So a special needs trust is going to preserve benefit eligibility while providing resources for your special needs child. Um, it's really important. We don't ever want to name your child specifically as a beneficiary on anything that you have. So if your kid's name is John Smith, we don't want John Smith to be a beneficiary on anything you have. We don't want him getting or inheriting money outright. So how do we do this? We have a third-party special needs trust, sometimes called a supplemental needs trust or a supplemental care trust, and we leave it to the third-party special needs trust for the benefit of John Smith, and then it's not going to cause him to lose his benefits. Uh, the guardianship process can um, begin six months prior to the child turning 18 years old. Um, there are alternatives to guardianship in the state of Texas. We have something called, um, there is such thing as partial guardianship. Guardianship takes away all of their rights, their right to drive, their right to vote, the right to choose where they live and things like that. So all, all of their rights. Um, there are such things as partial guardianship. Some attorneys are willing to do it and some are not. Um, some judges are willing to sign off on a partial guardianship and some are not. So you'll, you know, again, we can make a referral on that. But in Texas, um, we do have something called a supported decision-making agreement that goes alongside of a power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney. And this is um, sometimes appropriate for kids that, um, you know, maybe they don't have an intellectual disability, but maybe they're on the spectrum or ADHD. Maybe they're not there yet. Um, um, at age 18, but we're still hopeful and optimistic that they're going to get there. So that's where the, um, the su supported decision-making agreement, healthcare power of attorney and power of attorney come into play. But in the state of Texas and different states do things differently, um, it, the law says the least 
restrictive, most appropriate for the ward, W-A-R-D. I hate that word, but that's what they use, the least restrictive and most appropriate for the individual basically is, is, is what needs to be determined. Okay, so just so you guys know, um, SSI um, and Medicaid, SSDI, Medicare, the letter of intent, um, special needs trust, guardianships, and alternative to guardianship. We have complete webinars on our YouTube channel, the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel. You can subscribe for free if you need more information on, on, on those. But these are all things that are kind of um, important to consider. Um, we do keep a list, and this is just a short list. We have a whole um, you know, spreadsheet on this transition and residential programs, um, you know, throughout Texas, there are transition and res residential programs throughout the state, throughout the major cities. Um, again, we don't work for them. They don't work for us. Some of them take um, waivers. Some of them don't. Um, some of them are private pay. Um, there's a lot of programs out there. So I, I think for us, when we're talking about transition, transitioning, we're thinking about, you know, is there a transition program? Are they going to be in the 18 plus program? Are they going to go straight to the university? What's next? Um, and I would say, as you're thinking about your, your ARD meetings and other things like that, um, I would say, you know, think about what you can afford and what you can't. So if they stay in the public school system uh, longer and go into an 18 plus program and they're in there for two to four more years, you know, as a taxpayer, you're, you know, you're paying for that and they have a place to be and they're growing and they're learning. If you're, you know, going to do an out-of-pocket transition program, you know, some of those programs could be anywhere from three to five grand a month, okay? So that's not nothing. It's a huge line item on your budget, right? So, I mean, thinking about those early as you're having these meetings, you know, your ARD meetings and kind of thinking about transition and, and you know, what is next, really think about that because as parents with a loved one with a disability, we have a lifetime to provide for their care. It's a lifetime. It's a long time. So if they can stay in the public school, if they're happy, the setting is good, they're learning, um, you know, that's two to four more years that you're not having to pay for an out-of-pocket program for them. So it's just, you know, it's just worth considering. Everybody has different opinions. Some people's um, school they're not happy with, but also through your ARD, you can ask for them to be transferred if the program is not appropriate for them. Again, an advocate will help you um, help you kind of get the the accommodations and the things that you need that are appropriate for your student. Um, we do um, webinars on a weekly basis. We usually do three or four webinars a week. They're always running from 12 to 1. Um, so when you guys get these slides today, you are going to get a copy of the slides. You'll have a link to all of our upcoming webinars, and you can register for those, and you will get a copy of the slides. Once a person registers for any of our webinars, you will get a copy of the slides and a link uh, for the recording. If if you miss the, um, the webinars. So things to keep on your planning radar. We always talk about these things. We've talked about them a lot. Future care cost estimates, um, developing a special needs care plan, the waivers and the Medicaid waivers and interest list, SSI, SSDI, understanding those differences and knowing when to apply. We've talked about ABLE accounts. We've talked to the um, importance of not naming your um, loved one with a disability as a direct beneficiary on anything you have. Don't forget old pension plans, old 401ks, old 403bs. There's so many things that over the years, over 20 years, as things go by, we forget about. So fix that. Um, a lot of people, I would say probably 95% of 
people on this webinar, on any webinar we do, um, has made that mistake before. They name the spouse the beneficiary, and then they name their kids equally as a contingent beneficiary. It's just a common mistake that we see. We've talked about the special needs trust, um, residential and transition um, communities. Um, they can have long waiting lists, so plan early on all of that. Um, we've talked about kind of guardianship and the um, alternatives to guardianship. You can start that process six months prior to the individual turning 18. And we've talked a lot today about the high school and um, post high school options. So we, um, we, I'm going to really just kind of stop here. And um, so April, um, you can kind of finish up. Um, we do work on a collaborative team. We always um, offer free consultations at Consolidated Planning Group, and you guys all have a link and an opportunity um, to schedule with us um, when we send you the slides. So this is April's contact information, and April, if you want to just, um, I will advance your, your slide, and so that way you can kind of go through up on some of the, the follow-up resources. Sure. Well, um, vocational rehabilitation counselors are available, and I've also put in the chat how you can get a hold of just basic information. If you know nothing about vocational rehabilitation and you're still a little bit confused, the first link will take you directly to the State of Texas Workforce Commission page, and it will just give you a brief overview of both adult and student services. And then the second link will help you find your local VR office. And then the follow-up resources, I upkeep uh, what's called a Padlet, and I have on there several of the resources that if you were to meet me in person, you could get. It tells the first pamphlet that says the Texas Workforce Solutions with the green ribbon across the top is the most common one. It goes through the pre-ed services for students and families and tells them what pre-employment transition services are. That's what pre-ed stands for. And the big five are, they're going to, if they come into an office to meet with a counselor to figure out what services are, they're gonna go through counseling for post-secondary options, what their skills, their interests are, work-based learning, and sometimes it can be paid for that. Sometimes it's a job shadow, and sometimes it's a volunteering option. Then they're also going to talk about self-advocacy. Self-advocacy is one of the biggest needs that I see in any student I talk to and I say, do you know what it means to be an advocate? I probably one to 2% of the time have them answer yes, that they actually know what that is and how to do it. So they'll receive instruction on that. Also our transitional counselors are able to participate once you're in the vocational program in 504 meetings at your school and in your IEP meetings at your school. So it's just a nice thing. And just to let you know, they only participate in the vocational part of those meetings. They are not an advocate in other avenues. And you can reach out to me if you have more questions. Uh, coming up July 11th, if you are local to the Grayson, Cook, or Fanning counties, I will be having several outreach opportunities at the Sherman Public Library. And um, I will be sending out information for that. So if you're interested, you can reach out to me or I will be sending out information in the near future. And um, also, if you're interested in summer earn and learn for vocational rehabilitation, we are still taking applications for that through May 15th. So I think that kind of wraps up the brief information that I had to share. 
Awesome. Um, and I know that we're out of time for today and we always like to be, um, you know, very conscious of everyone's time. Um, you are all going to get a copy of these slides, the links and everything, April's contact information, our contact inf information. Um, we will also have this um, QR code here where you can hover that um, over your with your phone camera and it'll take you to our calendar if you want to schedule uh, with us for a free consultation. So you, you guys are going to get all of that this afternoon. You guys have been a wonderful um, audience and I know it's a lot of information. It is it is a lot of information, but it is my heart. Um, people are busy and if you're going to take an hour of your time, I want it to be chock full of good information of, yay, that was totally worth my time. That was really good and I learned this, this, and this and I can implement this right away um, for my family. That's our goal of, of of, of these meetings. So I hope you got that from today. Um, certainly my pleasure. Um, I hope everyone has a, a great afternoon and we'll look forward to partnering with you again, April. Um, certainly always our pleasure. Thank, thanks again, everyone. Take care. Bye. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.